What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to the Great Girth Podcast. One half of your favorite fat duo here tonight. Yes, that's me, Mr. Tony Trujillo. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be operating alone tonight. A couple of things to talk about. Um, unfortunately, Austin couldn't be with us just due to some technical difficulties. These things happen, unfortunately. So um, you're going to have to listen to me bore your ear off for a little bit. First off, let's talk about a little segment I like to call What Are You Listening To? I have been listening to a lot of Blink-182. Um, that concert's right around the corner. Tom DeLonge is back, and I am excited. Can't wait to check that out. Another thing I've been listening to is a little bit of Motley Crue. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I am a giant Motley Crue fan. So been digging into music as usual, but um, <clears throat> most importantly, I've actually been looking at their Generation Swine album, which... I believe was like mid, maybe late 90s. Um, if you're not familiar with the Motley Crue history, basically lead singer Vince Neil uh, stepped out due to various reasons. And, uh, well, there's a flip side of that coin. I, I guess according to Nikki Six and Tommy Lee, he had quit. He Vince is saying he was fired. Whatever the reason, he was replaced by uh, another lead singer whose name I can't recall for their, I believe it's their fifth studio album, because let's see here, there's uh, Motley Crue's uh, Too Fast for Love, bear with me here, Shadow. it's their sixth album, I guess, technically speaking, um, <clears throat> or seventh, because their sixth one would have been I gotta make sure I have this right. <laughs> Bear with me here. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, they had done their self-titled album, Motley Crue, without Vince Neil, and it was a flop. Didn't do very well. No one cared for it. So Vince comes back, and they do Generation Swine. There's multiple reasons as to why this album didn't work out. I think a lot of it was they were trying to play around with the grunge and just sort of what was like the end thing in the 90s because you got to understand that Motley Crue was glam metal rock and roll you know um, heavy metal well that scenery changes when they take a break from music for like three years so in like the early 90s we get the self-titled Motley Crue album that's the time when you know grunge moves in there's alternative so you know the demand for music is a little bit different with that being said Vince Neil returns for Generation Swine, so it should be a big album. Uh, by definition, it's not. Many people consider it to be their worst album. I got to admit, when I first listened to it, I wasn't a fan, but I, I tend to enjoy it. Um, you know, over time, I've learned to love it. There are some tracks on there that I absolutely love. And once I listen to something a lot, I listen to it over and over until it gets boring. For me, that's been uh, Find Myself, which is like the very first track on the album. Uh, there's another one on there that's pretty good called uh, Do You, I believe that's what it's called. That's, that's pretty good. It, it mixes some old Motley Crue with a lot of new wave, uh, again, grunge. There's a little bit of like techno sound in there. Again, it was kind of an experimental thing. They, I mean, they really had to keep up with the change in time. Uh, I'm glad they at least tried. I like that they went back to their old shit with the newer albums that came out afterwards. I mean, it's always a plus when bands stick to what they know. But it is kind of cool to see them experiment every so often. So that's what I'm currently listening to. 
moving on. Next segment before I get into the main course of this episode is going to be what are you watching? Um, I might have mentioned it on the past episode. I've been watching the show Becker. 98 to like 04 or whatever with Ted Danson and a bunch of people. I'm going through this weird little kick where I'm watching shows that <clears throat> were around when I was a little kid. Becker being one of them. Next on the list would be Cheers, probably Frasier. I think after that I'm going to watch Seinfeld again. Uh, I'm a nut when it comes to the old stuff. I love... <clears throat> Excuse me. <sighs> Too much soda. I love these older you know, shows. It just reminds me of my childhood, and I firmly believe that movies and TV now, yes, they're more advanced, more updated. They got better picture quality, better storytelling. I just don't feel they hit the note, though, as high as the older films and TV shows had done, especially for that time. So, you know, I'm going through like a, a little phase where I want to revisit my childhood, and that's basically where I'm headed with it, is just kind of looking at Revisiting some of the shows I grew up off of, and Becker's one of them, and then, you know, going down the line. Um, I think one I would really like to check out that I've actually never in my entire life watched an episode of would be Scrubs. I've seen like maybe one or two parts of that show. Wasn't really dedicated to it like I used to be with all, you know, other shows that came out around the time of my age, especially law and order and all the shit i grew up watching but scrubs is one that i never actually invested any time to so i'll probably have to add that to the list um um i think that about does it for that that's what i'm currently watching but we'll be adding that to the list and then shit from there we'll see maybe even malcolm in the middle that's another one i enjoy but aside from what we are currently watching or what i am watching more specifically i would like to take this time to do a quick movie review of a film that I wanted to originally do for my Graveship podcast, but it's not. The thing is, is with that podcast, I tend to focus on doing short reviews of films that are in the horror genre, and this one really isn't that. It's John Carpenter's Escape from New York. <clears throat> I love this fucking movie, but before I get into my bias on it, this is a film that came out in, I believe, early 80s can't remember the exact date but it's a john carpenter film so there's that for you if you know me you know i love john carpenter halloween hello the thing they live vampires the list goes on and on the fog john carpenter is hands down one of the greatest directors of all time so this happens to be one of my favorite movies as well this one has kurt russell in it i'm a big fan of kurt russell as well i mean it's not really hard to sell me with a kurt russell movie if it's got kurt russell in it chances are i'm going to enjoy it so Sat down to watch this movie when I was nine. Uh, I was going through my stepdad's catalog of movies, as I like to call it. Uh, this was back in <clears throat> late '90s when DVDs were still pretty popular. He had this CD case that was full. I'm probably looking at like maybe 200 movies, and there were some in there I've seen. A lot of horror films. Excuse me. <clears throat> there were some in there I had seen, but there was that one in particular. When I came upon it, it's like a. It's one of those like five dollar dvds you find at walmart and it just has the title escape from new york with a pretty cool looking font that's my stepdad what it was about and he had told me probably not gonna like that movie because it's not really a horror film it's more of an action sci-fi whatever and i was like yeah i mean it looks kind of cool at the time i didn't have access to a computer so i couldn't do research so i just kind of flipped this movie on just in the spur of the moment what i enjoyed about it was how dark it was 
you can definitely tell this is an 80s film, but it feels almost advanced ahead of its time for the time frame. I mean, it takes place in like 1998 or some weird shit, but for those of you that have never seen this movie, uh, to run this down for you briefly, in the sometime in the future, in like 98, 99, whatever, there is um, an unexplained event that happens to the city of New York. Which basically, after it's torn apart, um, I think the belief is there's like some sort of nuclear war that happened and it caused the city to go into shambles. So what happens is the government takes a section, I think it's Manhattan Island, they take that specific section and they put a wall around it, like a prison wall, and they turn the Manhattan Island into a federal prison. That's where they basically drop people off. Once you lose your freedoms, you go here and you don't come back. Again, this is a like a futuristic type of movie for the 80s, and it was pretty damn cool for being 80s. Um, I, I wouldn't really say this is a cheesy-looking film, especially because it is an independent film. It's very good for being independent. It's very unique. I think even if you watch it now, even though you would know this is an old-ass movie, when you watch it now, everything about it is amazing. There's really not, at least as far as I know, there's not a lot of CGI that's done in it. Yeah, there's some updated look to it. It's supposed to look futuristic, but it's really gritty, too. When we get to the city, um, you know, like scenes with the city and the buildings, how they've fallen apart, how they look like they've actually gone through an atomic bomb, it looks realistic. And from what I had done research-wise, not a lot of it actually takes place in New York, various locations. But um, <clears throat> so the story is, you know, in the future, they've got this prison that they throw people in it's a dark future there's a united states police force that basically runs everything uh it's a very fascist uh country if you will that that we're living in in this movie the storyline is about a badass robber criminal whatever you want to call him. he's basically a gunslinger of his time his name is snake plissken he's this badass that has one eye he's wearing a fucking eye patch it looks amazing He's about to go to prison. He's going to be dropped off in New York. He is proposed with um, a deal. Essentially, go into New York where the president's plane has been hijacked and the president's been kidnapped. He can go in, get the president, bring him back. If he does that, slate's clean. He's not going to prison. Starts fresh. Basically, he's pretty much forced into doing this. He's given an injection in his body that if he doesn't get the antidote, he'll die. So he's got couple hours to go in there and kick ass and bring the president back without spoiling it this movie is essentially a manhunt type of film he's looking for this president that he doesn't give a shit about to save a country that he no longer cares for in a position where he can only do what he does best which is ruling the shit out of everything this guy kicks ass kurt russell sells this role like no other a lot of people like to talk about where kurt russell came from in terms of what made him popular? I really believe this is the movie that <clears throat> defines his career. This is the movie that makes him stand out. And there's plenty of them. There's The Thing, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. There's <clears throat> excuse me. There's a bunch of movies out there that really stand out. But in my personal opinion, this is the movie that made him. Um, when I think of Kurt Russell, I think of this movie. And Kurt Russell's been in so much shit. He's still doing movies now. But <clears throat> that aside, let's talk about what I like about the movie first. Uh, what I really love is, again, the gritty look to it, the dark, depressing, almost grungy feeling. It's definitely one of those 80s films where they make the future look so sick and disgusting, but 
can't turn your eye for like you just can't turn a cheek you can't look away it's so uh it's it almost grabs your attention that's what this whole movie does because you see these set pieces and you wonder what happened to the city they never actually explain it what caused some of these buildings to become so decrepit what caused the windows to be shattered the way they are it really looks like some sort of military force took a giant shit on this city I mean, it looks fucking run down, but the way they had done it for such a small budget and just being on the scale that it is, you ultimately believe that this dude is really running around this fucking prison or city, if you will. Again, it's an independent film. It's not made off of a huge budget, so it shouldn't be as cool as it is. And this movie is a mega hit. This is probably one of John Carpenter's best films. Well received for the time, still is. I I firmly believe it still stands the test of time, so... You know, you can't really complain too much about this movie. Another thing I love is all the cliche, you know, action catchphrases. Call me Snake. The name's Pliskin. Like, just... <clears throat> it, it fits perfectly with that action hero style movie. But it's weird because this isn't really an action hero movie at all. Yeah, there's a sequel, so I guess technically this would be considered a franchise. But... <clears throat> excuse me. You'll have to excuse me. A little... Got a little mucus problem going on. But, um... <clears throat> This wouldn't really be considered an action flick. I really do consider this more of like a dark sci-fi uh, drama in a sense. It's almost like a soap opera, but with action. Just a little bit of action. And it's cool, though. You see the street gangs. You see, like, the vultures that run around at night. They're fucking used to be people that are clearly insane. And they run these streets. There's a guy in it called the Duke. Everyone follows the Duke. Basically, if you look at this, this city is being run very similar to how the United States government is currently running shit. It's like they decided, let's make a prison, put everyone in it. You're on your own from there. What you do, how you survive is not our concern. But all these people went in there and they developed a class system similar to how it was back home. That's another thing I love about it. Um, I think the final thing I truly love about this movie is the score. The music score is amazing. If you've ever seen a John Carpenter film... You know exactly what I'm talking about. John Carpenter always hits the high note. His music is memorable. He's not just a good film director and you know storyteller, but he is great at scoring music. He's always done his own music for his movies. And uh, aside from Halloween, this is one of the ones that I think really not just stands out, but is so memorable. When I hear the theme song, especially the beginning film, the opening credits, you'll... Once you hear it, you immediately know what movie it is. And that's actually very rare. Not a lot of movies can do that. Some movies, you'll listen to it and it takes a minute to remember what it's from. This one, you automatically know John Carpenter, Escape from New York. Great film. The music, everything about it is amazing. The only problem I have with this movie in terms of talking about what I don't like about it, this movie's dark as shit. It, It works for what they're going for, but like the framing... The lighting of this movie is just... It's dark the entire time. Even when it's light out, it's super dark. You have to have a high-definition TV to watch this shit. Maybe that's not necessarily the movie's fault, but I don't like when it's so dark I can't see it. That's some Incredible Hulk shit. You know what I'm talking about. I think another thing I actually don't like about this movie is the fact that they don't explain what happened to make this city so fucked up in the way that it is. I mean, I guess that's a good thing because it works with the storyline. It really doesn't matter what happened to it. 
But I would like to know. I'd like to get a little background. And the reason I mention that is because in the second film, Escape from L.A., they actually give you a background as to what happened to cause the city of Los Angeles to become the new prison. Yeah, by the way, there's a sequel called Escape from L.A., and it's the exact same thing as the first one. Only this one's way better. The second one's more of like a comedy. It's definitely a... That one's for sure an action film that's cashing in on the success of the first one. But Escape from New York, they don't tell you really what happened. All you know is that the city's been turned into a federal prison. And that is where you go to spend the rest of your days when you fuck up and you break the law. So, I mean, again, it works for the story. And maybe the uniqueness of not knowing what caused this to happen is what makes it, there's that word again, unique. I mean, that's what John Carpenter had done for Halloween. You don't know why Michael is the way he is, but hey, that's a different movie. Point is, John Carpenter has a habit of making shit happen and not explaining why. And I think it's just the idea that you don't know it scares you. It's worrisome in a way. It freaks you out. You want to know why this force of nature is the way it is, but you'll never know. And that's how this movie is. Maybe to some people this isn't really all that big of a deal, but when you watch this movie and you see the way the city looks, especially the movie poster itself from uh, its release date, there's a picture of Kurt Russell's Snake Plissken character, you know, on the very front, middle of the street, and you see all the gangs in the background that uh, roll the night, basically, but in between all the buildings, you see the head of the Statue of Liberty, and it's it's such a dark look. It is so... um, It's almost depressing looking. It's very, uh, it's kind of scary. You look at it and it looks like it could be a horror film. But, you know, it makes it look so cool. You're just like, damn, I see this stuff. And I want to know what happened to the city. I want to know what caused the government to form this police force of the fucking world, basically. And take this turn of events. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention there are a lot of pretty good actors in this movie. Um, Harry Dean Stanton's in it. Plays a character named Brain. He's pretty badass. Uh, Donald Pleasance is in it. You know, he's from Halloween, if you know who that is. Uh, I'm sure Donald Pleasance has been in a bunch of shit to not have to stoop so low as being called just Dr. Loomis. But that's what I know him as, so don't attack me. It's got a bunch of people in it, though. Um, Another person I love that's in it. uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. I'm not butchering it. Tom Atkinson. He was in, I remember him mostly from... Halloween 3 season, The Witch. But he's been in a bunch of shit. He's a horror alumni, if you will. He's in this. He's a pretty cool character. Um, God, I'm sure there's a bunch of people I'm forgetting, but there's a lot of people in there that are alumni now, especially of the genre, or at least for those types of 80s flicks, if you will. It's very John Carpenter-ish. John Carpenter has a habit of using the exact same actors for every movie. So when you watch this, you know what you're getting into. This definitely feels like a John Carpenter film. Um, I think the reason I decided to pick this was because, again, I wanted to do it for my other podcast, but that one's strictly for horror films, so I couldn't do it. I've loved this movie since I've seen it. I was nine years old when I first saw it, and it's basically followed me all the way through. It's one of those things where I show it to friends that haven't seen it, family members. Um, I actually watched it for the first time with my daughter the other night, which... Maybe not the best parenting. My kid's eight years old, but she had walked by when I was watching it, and she wanted to see it, and I... Said, yeah, you can sit here and watch this with me. I mean, it's really, it's not necessarily a children's film, but it's not all that bad either. There's not a lot of gore, not really a lot of violence. It's more like 
just a lot of explosions and chase scenes and action and kicking ass. I mean, there are worse things you could show your kid. And so I was like, you know, I saw this movie when I was nine. I want to share this experience with my kid. I think she can handle it. And she sat there and watched it. And whether she liked it or not, I really don't know. But I could tell she was paying attention because it had her attention the same way it had mine the first time I had seen it. Now, if I want to rate this movie, um, this is me being biased. I got to admit it. I give this film for sure five stars. The reason why is not just the nostalgia, but I really feel like this is a great fucking movie. The acting in it is just superb. It's beyond what it should be. This is a movie that, again, it stands the test of time, and I firmly believe it's one of the best movies ever made. It's on there. It's at least on that list of movies you have to see. That's why I give it five stars. Again, I am being biased. If I were to look at this from an Austin standpoint, he'd probably give it like a three and a half or four. Me and Austin's uh, taste in movies varies, but we do have similar interests too. Austin's the type of guy that can sit there and watch it and have no issue with it. So, I mean, if it works, it works. But my bias says five stars. Highly recommend. Also, I fully recommend you buying it and, you know, owning it on Blu-ray Um, You can get it on DVD, but let's be honest, Blu-ray's become the superior console, the superior form of viewing. I mean, there's digital, too. Digital's definitely come a long way, too. I mean, if you buy this on, like, Voodoo or wherever you stream your movies, you're going to get the 4HD experience. So it's worth owning. It's worth having in your collection. Uh, It's a movie that I watch quite a bit. I probably watch it at least once or twice a year, maybe even more. Um, yeah, I highly recommend Escape from New York. Uh, if you liked it, you may like the second one, Escape from L.A. Maybe I'll do a review on it. Probably not. See if I can talk myself into it. But um, if you've seen this movie, <clears throat> let me know what you thought about it. Reach out to us on the Facebook page. We have a Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter now. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on Instagram. Um, you can pretty much find us wherever their social media. We're slowly working our way into TikTok, but we'll get there. Um, if you guys have seen it, cool. If you haven't, I hope you spend that time watching it. doesn't really matter, I guess, because what I say could go in one ear and out the other, but as a dedicated movie fan, this is one that you have to see at least once. I am Tony. I'm not here with my buddy Austin, unfortunately. It is so weird when he's not here. It's, it's very, um, feels different. There's no Austin here to say adios, which I miss. So (laughs) thanks, guys, for listening. If you like what you're here and you want to check out more, go to thegreatgirthpodcast.com. Again, for all you special needs people in the back, that is thegreatgirthpodcast.com. I am Tony Trujillo, one half of your favorite fat duo, signing off and saying that I will see you and Austin on the next one.